are in John 17, if you want to open your Bibles there. Um, last week, uh, we had the pleasure of hearing Sam uh, preach a uh, wonderful job. So we are, we're cooking here. So we're going to be able to finish the book of John by the end of this year. Uh, I, I pray that this has been a blessing to you uh, going through this book. Uh, maybe seeing things about Jesus, about the story of the gospel, to the eyes of John. Maybe it, hopefully it's been a little bit lightning. So uh, I know for me, um, it has. It's, it's changed the way I'm, I'm viewing the Bible going through John. Does anyone else? Like John changes things, right? John makes you, makes you think differently about Jesus and his word. So what I'd like to do is open up in prayer. Obviously we should pray. And then uh, we will get started here. So Heavenly Father... Uh, again, we just want to stop, pause, look to you for, for guidance, for direction, for inspiration. And Lord, uh, and I look to you for strength. Lord, let this be done uh, through your spirit, not through my ability or what I think is good, Father, but let it be of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for every year that we hear this message today, Father, would you help us to change, Father, from the inside out, uh, that you are renewing us day by day. And we do this through the hearing of your word, Father. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just realized too this morning is how many, we, we've got a lot of people deployed. We have a strong contingent of people that are doing. I wasn't a Marine, so if, if I butcher, I apologize. Were they workups, mockups, working a lot before deployment? Might as well be deployed before you deploy. And then the other half of the church is pregnant, have babies, or having babies. Like this is a, a very exciting time to be come to Pillar Church because you can show up one week and the chairs will be full and everyone's here. The next week, like three people in the hospital giving birth. Um, so it's exciting. It's a good time to do. So that's my last comment. Okay. So John 17, what are we doing today? So last week we, we had the end uh, of, of a discourse, Jesus um, speaking to his disciples. And what happens in John 17 is the start of a prayer, right? So he's, if you kind of track the progression of what's happened here is as Jesus, we're in the last few days of Jesus' life, right? We're in this last week. And he, I mean, this was over a month ago for us, but he said his final comments to the masses. And then he takes his disciples in, and he gives them instructions and encouragements. And so he's finished up speaking to them. And what he does now, he turns to pray to the Father. This is what John 17 is, is this prayer before his arrest. Because next week, and spoiler alert, it's going to start going very badly for Jesus starting next week. Right? So next week, Trace is going to bring the word on, on what happens after this prayer is said. But scholars and most people, even non-scholars, just people in general in your Bible that might even say this, but they call this the high priestly prayer. Right? So if anyone ever says, oh, Jesus is a priestly prayer, this is the prayer that we're talking about. This is uh, his last prayer with his disciples before he's arrested. And so... I want to answer the question first. What is a priestly prayer? Does anyone else's Bible say that on there? Jude, the high priestly prayer? Yes. And so we just have to answer the question, well, what is a priest? Well, a priest in the Old Testament is someone that intermediated between God and man. Right? Like, we, they needed somebody to go to God for them. Right? So the high priest wants you to go and, uh, you know, atone for his sins and for the people's sins. Right? Uh, go and plead before God. You've heard all these stories. That's the, the high priest's job. High priest would, could also act as a prophet. He would, if people wanted to seek the Lord, he would call the priest, right? It's like, hey, somebody tell me what, what God wants to do about this. And this happened throughout the Old Testament. So here, Jesus' prayer, he's functioning as a priest. He's making requests to God on behalf of the people, right? Now, 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Right? So when we think about this prayer... Jesus is the priest. He's the one guy, right? So now that he's fulfilled this role, do we need priests anymore? No. There's one mediator. So up until Jesus' death, we needed priests. We needed somebody that was ordained, set aside for the things of God. Jesus Christ now has taken this role as a priest, and he's going to pray this on behalf of his disciples. And then he's, he's going to see that he's going to, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples. And then he's going to pray for all those who would believe in his name, this priestly prayer. Now, this is today's message, but the Bible says that God has made nations of kings and priests on him, which is us. We now become the kings and priests of God. Because do we need to go to a priest to access God? 
no, if we want to go to God, we have Jesus. So we can go right to the Father. So the scripture tells us we can uh, come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and help in a time of need, right? There's nothing stopping you from where you're at right now entering the throne room of God if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a priest, right? Doesn't mean I'm going to start calling you Father and you can wear a frog and all that kind of stuff. But this position is, I don't want to say it's been eliminated, but it, the common person, me and you, now have access to the Father. So that's really what we're going to read. We're going to read this priestly prayer. So what I'd like to do is we're going to go all through 17. I'm going to read the whole thing. We're, a lot of this we've already spoken about. We're going to kind of clue into one thing he talks about, like we normally do. We'll kind of deep dive on one of his thoughts here. But I'm going to read this. Uh, you can follow, follow along on the screen. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. You've seen that hour before, right? The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And I am praying for them, and I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, but you have given me, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, just as you Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent them. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be as one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and, the, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. If you've never read John 17, congratulations, you just did. Right? So if anyone ever asks you, Okay, so this is a, a big chunk of text. And typically what we do here uh, is it's just too much, right? So I would be here the rest of the day if we kind of went line by line. And it would just take us years to go through the book of John. So what, we, what I encourage you to do if there's things, uh, if, one, if you have questions, there's a number you can text it in, right? It's on the bulletin. We'd be happy to answer those questions at the end. Two is a lot of this is to encourage you to go study, right? So if there's something that piques your interest, I'm going to study it out. And then... Uh, I, I picked an area that I really kind of think that we should deep dive as a church. So that's what we're going to do. But the nice thing about this passage is a lot of this we've actually already deep dived on. I want to bring just a couple things to your mind. Uh, this isn't on the screen, but verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. We have a whole message about how we are commanded to love and we are sent into the world that hates us. Like we deep dive on this, like actually several messages. 
right? If you haven't heard that before, this should be revolutionary. But as a Christian, Jesus says, don't be surprised that the world hates me. Why would it not hate you, right? And so we head out into this world, and the one thing we're commanded to do is to love, right, in a world that hates us. So you can look that up online. And then we also have here, but in verse 13, he says, I'm coming to you, but these things I speak to the world that my, that my, I'm sorry, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Pastor Trace taught a whole message on the difference between joy and happiness, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. That happiness is based upon our circumstances, but a joy is the estate and the soul. Amen? There's a whole message on that. Now, what we're not going to deep dive on, but I, I want to point out, starts in verse 20, John 17, 20. He says something peculiar. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's shifting to all those that are going to believe in Jesus, right? He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. It's a weird saying, right? He says, just as I am in you and you are in me, all those that would believe in me, can they also be in us? Did you catch that? So you remember at the beginning of John, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus and the Father are inseparable, yet the same. Now we have a third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, right? And these three make up what we call the Trinity. They're one and yet separate. And here Jesus is praying, again, I'm going to read that again, verse 20, it says, I pray for those who believe in me that they may all be one, just as you and I, Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. I'm praying that they would be in us. God, Jesus' desire, is that we are so united with him, we're all one. Does that make sense? I mean, it's hardly right. This isn't what we're going to deep dive on, but this is a very deep thought that Jesus prays with. Think about it. As Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit are one, he now wants to add a fourth leg to this three-legged table. Us. You're like, oh, that's not my heresy. I didn't say we're God, right? So I'm not saying we're doing anything in the equation other than being added through Jesus Christ. Because that's the prayer, verse 20. Just as I'm in you and you in me, may they also be in us, that we can all be one. That's a very heavy theological statement requested by Jesus. And again, that's his desire. It's been his desire since the very beginning, right? Humanity was created to be with God, to walk with God, to be in fellowship with God. And this priestly prayer, it, it, it hurts your heart. Verse 23, he's like, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So now, with this in mind, we can think through some of the parables, because Jesus actually used language of himself that he would use of us. Remember where he says that we are the light set on a hill, right? Was Jesus also the light? Right? You think about all these things, like all these things that he refers to himself as, he then calls us that. Now, again, just in case you think, it's like, man, this theology is getting weird. We are not God. We are not gods, right? We have nothing except for him. But here's the thing, that once we have him, we have everything. Greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. When we are believers in Jesus Christ and we are filled with his spirit, we are that light. And he says, look, when we become one, the world will know that I live. Right? This is a powerful, powerful statement. Okay. So with that being said, I, I told myself I'm going to move quickly because my messages go long because the things I'm supposed to go quickly over, I hang out on for a long time. Okay. okay. So here's what I want to deep dive on. Is found in verse 3 and verse 26. If you would go to the next slide, I think I put them both on the same slide here. It says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is the only clear, succinct definition of eternal life in your Bible. It's referenced a lot of times, but this is the only time where it says eternal life is. Right? And what is eternal life? According to John, is to know the true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Right? So a lot of times when we think eternal life, we think living forever. We think living in heaven. We think, we think all these things, right? It's kind of a, a mesh of ideas, right? And those are all true because the Bible uses eternal life in different ways. But again, if, 
John, uh, he defines it as to know God. Now, verse 26, Jesus says, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that, that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, if you didn't know, the mission of this church, go to the next slide, is to know to what? Jesus and to make him known. You've heard us preach this for years and years and years now. How many years exactly have you heard this? Yeah, you've been doing this for seven years. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. That's eternal life, friends. This is our mission. This is our job. This is why we exist. Not only us, but the entire church, globally, the universal church, which is called the Catholic Church. Not those Catholics. Catholic means universal. Just to confuse you. We exist to know Jesus. That's why you and I are here on this planet. That's why the moment you became a believer, God didn't just snatch you up and take you up. Because your job now is to make him known. Now that you know him, we make him known. And Jesus said, I made your name known. Jesus had the same mission. He didn't have to know himself. His mission was to make him known. It's fascinating, right? Jesus is the light. He shows up in a world so dark it couldn't even recognize the light. That was found in John chapter 1, right? So the light, the true light that was in the world that gives light to every man that comes into the world. This is John chapter 1. And it says the people are sitting in darkness and they couldn't recognize the light. They've been in darkness so long when the true light finally showed up. But you know? And so God sent somebody to bear witness to the light. Who is the witness? John the Baptist. Have you ever wondered, it's like, why did we have to have a witness to the light, right? You don't have to tell me, like, hey, that's the light. Right? And turn around, like, no, I know that's the light. You don't need to tell me. But the people were so blind, they couldn't recognize the light. Thousands of years separated from God. The true light is there. Now, the light still shines in the darkness, friends, but the world doesn't comprehend it. They still can't see the light. Now, we carry the light, so what is our job? It's to bear witness to the light, to make his name known. Can you see that now? Like, once, once we, we finish through John, hopefully all these things will start to make sense that we've been talking about for a very, very long time here. John the Baptist, or witness, friends, we bear witness because we have known, we have seen the light. The world can't recognize it. And I brought up the fact that when he showed up in the flesh, they couldn't recognize him. So how much more do they not recognize him now that he's gone? He's given us that responsibility of introducing this world to the light. Okay. To know him and to make him known. Is this what we're going to talk about? Now, friends, this has always been the plan. This is not something new. I want to point this out. Jeremiah 31, uh, 31. It says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. It's been prophesied, and it's always God's plan is to know Him. Right? To really know Him. Now, when we think about knowing somebody, it's the height of a relationship. It's why a husband and wife are so sacred. They know each other. More intimately, more should be more intimately, more thoroughly than any other relationship either of those two people will ever have. They will have other good relationships, and they'll have other Strong relationships, but by design, that is supposed to reflect intimacy with the Creator. That you just know everything. That's why I always hate preaching, is because my wife, I'm always worshiping. What happened? I was thinking about this dude yesterday, wouldn't you? Right? He's up there espousing these little things. But that's just part of the game because we would all, we all, we all have to do it, right? Because I know my wife had to get up here and exhort from the Word to be the same way. you know what she did yesterday? How dare she? Right? So it's not that either one of us are perfect people, but that's just reality. Because we know each other. We know the secrets. We know who we really are. 
right? And the deeper your friendships get outside of marriage, they also know, right? If you want to know somebody, hang out with them, listen to them, right? And you've got to spend a lot of time with them. Now, Sam last week told us how much that God knows us. We read from the Psalms, right? He's intimately acquainted in all our ways. He knows if we sit up and we lie down. He knows the number of hairs on your head or the lack of hairs on your head, right? He knows all, he's, he knows us. But the challenge is, friends, is we don't know him. So this is our job in Christianity, is to know him. So what I want to do is I want to really go through some scriptural items on how to know him. Is that fair? I think this is a worthwhile endeavor, especially on our, our seven-year anniversary, kind of recommitting to that mission, to know him and to make him known. What does that mean? Okay. So the first thing you have to do, and uh, we're going to have a little list up here, is believe. You have to believe. To know him, you have to believe. John 17, 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. A relationship with Jesus Christ starts with belief. That's the entrance into this. Acts 16, 31, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Right? When we talk about Jesus, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let's read another scripture. John 5, 24. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, ever, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, this is the start of a relationship with Jesus. And typically this is the hardest aspect, right? Because once you believe, you enter into faith, right? You have, then you have the spirit that God enables you get all these things. I do think God enables us to believe, right? I do believe in saving faith. I do believe when the word is preached, the Holy Spirit is there, right? Like, this is, this is not a, an endeavor we have to do on our own. But Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except through you. So to know the Father, if eternal life is knowing the Father through Jesus, Jesus will be that stumbling block to knowledge of knowing. Does that make sense? And if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not giving to the Father. Right? This is the exclusive claim of Christianity. Right? I think, you ever heard the expression, all roads lead to God? Has anyone ever heard that? You've seen the coexist bumper stickers? That's brought about a lot of peace. It's listening to all that, right? It's like, all roads lead to God. Well, I think no. I think one road leads to God, but I think all roads can lead to Jesus. Right? If you think about it, all of our collective experiences uh, bear that out. We all came to Jesus differently. There was no cookie-cutter approach of how each of us found the Lord or how the Lord found us. Here's a great example. So, I like to use Brian. I like Brian Johnson in the back. Wave your hand, Brian. So, Brian was in the Marine Corps. He went in 71. I wouldn't be born for another seven years. Right? And Brian's already fighting in Vietnam. Right? I don't know why he joined the Marine Corps, but he did. Did you get drafted? Oh, he did. So, that was a, a decision. So that's on you, brother. <laughs> now, so Brian grew up in Kansas City, right? Growing up in the 60s, 70s. How many here grew up, was alive in the 60s to experience that? That's a wild time, was it not? I mean, every, what I heard. <laughs> right? Race riots, high-level assassinations, assassination of the president, right? his brother, Martin Luther King. I mean, the world, if you think it's a mess now, I couldn't imagine then you have Vietnam. That's a real mess that's going on back there, right? Protesters being shot on campuses. It's a mess. So Brian grows up in this world. And you had family members that are ministers now, right? So Brian, serving the Lord for years and years and years, grows up. Now we have me. I'm from Oregon. I was born in the late 70s, right? I exist in the world the 80s and 90s. You guys, everyone, who here remembers the 80s and 90s, right? Exactly. Great music. Good times. My family uh, did not believe. There's no believers. There's no ministers in my family, and we were hostile to the gospel. Right? People get offended if somebody wanted to pray and kind of things. So we made fun of Christians. This wasn't what we did. Right? Oregon is very much like that. But yet, both of our paths where did they lead, Ryan? They led to Jesus, and we couldn't be more different in our, our cultural settings in the time we grew up in and how we found the Lord. And I can do that to each one of you. Man, this is a very different story. Some will have similarities. So, all roads can lead to Jesus. Jesus. How many here were Catholics at one point in your life? Right? 
I know we have a couple Catholics, right? I know people that used to go here that, uh, that practice Buddhism. I know people that have converted from other religions. Those roads led to Jesus. I'm hammering that home is because the idea of all roads lead to God, you've got to remember, there's a gate there. Wait a minute. Somebody called themselves the gate, didn't they? Uh-oh. I set you up. John 10.9. Is that what happened next time I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and find pasture. John 14.6. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. Listen, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Period. End of discussion. There's no other way for this. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. So it behooves you to remember, all roads can lead to Jesus, but only one road leads to the Father, and Jesus is that door. Right? So to know him, we must believe. Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through this relationship and this relationship alone that we are okay with the Father. That's what righteousness is. It means right standing. When you are in covenant or relationship with Jesus, you trust him. You and the Father are okay. He says, come, right? Come in, come in. He's the gate. Jesus said, anyone else that comes in through any other way is a robber and a thief. These are hard words, but now hopefully you're starting to make sense. Because what Jesus is protecting is knowing the Father. Right? Because to know the Father means eternal life. Did you catch that? This is eternal life, to know the true one and his son, Jesus Christ. Know the true God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's such a big deal that Jesus is the gate. This is the access. This is, this is heavy stuff. Okay, number one, you've got to believe. Sound like Ted Lasso. You've got to believe. <laughs> number two, read, study, meditate. Jesus is getting on the Pharisees' back, and he says this. You search the scriptures. This is John 5, 39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. The Pharisees at this time thought eternal life was found in the word. It is. But the problem is they couldn't see that it testified about Jesus, the word himself, right? The life himself. John 6, 63 says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and in life they are life. Friends, these are the words that have been spoken to us. To know God, this is the primary way to know him, is through his word. You will be acquainted with who he is, what he likes, what he doesn't like, the character of God. You know, and the more you read it, the more you can just even sift through things. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Right? It's like, well, that sounds out of character for God, right? right? So if somebody said, okay, I saw Trace Martinez. As Pastor Trace, if you didn't know, I saw Trace Martinez uh, at a Starbucks, and uh, he flung his coffee at somebody, was cussing somebody out, and was doing things. Yeah, he, he saw that. But my first thought would be, like, that is out of the character for Trace. I would expect that from somebody else in this church, not me. But, you know what I mean? Because that's in their character. But that's not Trace's character. Trace is, Trace is very even keeled. When he's mad, it's like this. Now, his wife could probably tell different stories. But as far as, you know, my relationship going on a decade now is here's Trace, here's Trace Angry. <laughs> here's me, here's Michael Angry, right? So mine goes to 100 years. But it's the same thing. When you see things in life where somebody says, God did this, you can think, Sounds out of character. I've read this thing, right? So the more you study, you just know him, you become acquainted in his ways, in his ways of thinking. Second Peter three eighteen says, "But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen." So our job is to grow in this knowledge, friends. A lot of people have bad theology because they don't read their Bibles. People, there's all, all sorts of bad denominations. Because people will sit there and listen to somebody espouse lies because they won't pick up the Bible and read it for themselves. And to ask some basic questions. That's all there is to it, is read it and say, well, this doesn't sound like what you said. Can you explain this to me? This is why we always have the, if you have questions, text them. 
we've misrepresented something or you've heard something else or you think this clashes with another scripture. It's our jobs, friends, is to be that diligent in the word. Right? Because that's how we know him. When I come up here and preach, the Bible says those who teach the word will be held to a higher standard. You know why? Because it's my job is to help you to know him. Either I'm allowing this to happen or I can become a stumbling block. I can trip you up where you don't know God. You know how mad you would be if you found out you were here for 10 years? And we're just teaching false stuff. And the God that you were trusting on and that you really didn't know him, other than your saving faith, but you're like, man, I'm going back to ground zero because that was some bad stuff. Has anyone ever been to a church for a while that had bad teaching? I have. And it was through reading the word. I was like, oh, time to get out of here. This is lining up with what I'm reading. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. I just can't overemphasize this. Read your Bibles. Even if it's just the same book over and over again, you don't have to be a scholar. Get in there. Read and pray. Now you may be saying, well, I don't understand it. And that's fair. When you're starting off on this journey, you know, like, like most people, when I got saved, I picked up the Bible, and you know where I started? Page one. <laughs> let's, let's get it going. By the time I got into Deuteronomy, I was out. No, I have no idea what's happening. Talk to us. We're here for that. And this is this is our job, right? So there's books we can we can we can recommend to you. We can read together. We have Bible studies. There's all sorts of things we can do. Please get them. 2 Timothy 2.7 says this. He's, Paul is exhorting Timothy. He says, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Reading the Bible doesn't come down to how much you can read quantity-wise. It's a quality day. And if all you're reading is two verses, and you're meditating on it, you see that? Think over what I say. Think over what he says. If you have a verse you don't know, write it down and think on it. Ask about it. Don't You could be stuck on that verse for a week, a month. I've had verses I, I haven't understood for years, and like two years later I finally got some understanding. Think over what I say. Write it down on an index card, write it in your journal, write it wherever, and meditate on it. Reading three books of the Bible versus meditating on three verses, I would argue that meditating on the three verses is much more spiritually useful. That's how it gets you in your heart. You're thinking about it. You memorize it. You repeat it. And that's how you know God. Friends, when God speaks to you, he will speak through his word. This is how you discern truth from error. Have you ever wondered, how do I know when it's God talking to me talking? Have you ever asked that question? So you're praying. And you're like, man, God, is that you? Is that me? Is this my design? Well, the first test is does it line up with scripture? There's other tests. But the very first test is does this violate scripture? Hey, God, should I get another wife? My wife is getting on my nerves. Now, have I violated scripture? Can I, can I get that question without prayer? Yeah, the answer is yes. Of course I get that. You've met. No, it's a joke. I love it. <laughs> That's what she's like. So smart. My point is, is, God doesn't even need to answer that. I have the answer right here. And even if I was confused, and people get confused, I, I don't want to make light of that, because there are people that are in very bad relationships. And maybe that's a... I, actually, I shouldn't even make that joke. Because sometimes it could be that bad. You're God, give us more. Well, you're that broken. But the point is, if you know the word, he can, the spirit ministers through his word to you. Right? Now, there's things that we pray for and we don't. It's not in the word, right? Does God say you should take a job in Atlanta and move? No, it doesn't, right? So now we have to ask him for some of these things that it's not. It's like, oh, second Timothy, God says... Nine shall move thyself in December. We need to hear from him. But I would argue the more you know the word, the more you can discern his voice. And the older I get, the more I read the word. When God does uh, speak to me in prayer, when I'm making a decision, I've learned to understand his voice because I've read, I've heard it so much. Right? People, you've heard this analogy before that, you know, let's say there's 200 of us. And your child, you have a small, you have a five-year-old, and as, let's say it's a normal noise level. And if you're the parent, and that child cries, what's the one mom going to do? That's when it's her child. Ears perk up, right? You know that. And all the other parents, when they hear the child cry, they may be concerned, but oh, that's not my kid, right? 
Has anyone ever heard their kid scream from a distance and you knew it again? Because that's something innate inside you, my child is screaming. I know their voice. We need to learn his voice, right? And this is the way to do it. Have I beat that point hard enough? Okay. Uh, one last thing I want to say on this topic, because it is kind of a, a, a thing in American Christianity. The scripture warns us that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, is what it says. Knowledge is not a substitute for knowing him. It is a path to, to help you know him. But some people think they know him because of their amount of knowledge they have, and they couldn't be further from the truth. Right? Is because the Bible actually says it says Greeks seek knowledge and the Jews seek a sign, right? Like you you can't know God through academics only. If you haven't married this with belief, that's why we put that first, all your studying is in vain. Did you know there's actually scholars, PhDs in the Bible that are uh, atheists? What a waste of time. Right? But they just view this as an ancient book, right? Just like people study Egyptian literature, people study Hebrew. But if it's not coupled with faith, and if your knowledge isn't coupled with humility, it's pointless. I know a lot of people that they they try to talk high and mighty, you know, like their academics, armchair theologians, and all these kind of things. And it, it, have you ever met them? I, hopefully, I'm not one of those guys, but I kind of hate those guys. I don't hate them, but I hate that. I have discussions with them because it's, it's fruitless, it's pointless, right? God would much rather have somebody have a very simple understanding and they apply it. And they live it. They believe it. Versus just this academic idea, right? You could know this whole thing inside and out, but you don't live it and your heart's not right. That's the problem with the Pharisees. That, that was exactly their problem. They knew it inside and out, but it wasn't reflected in their life. I would argue that it's better to learn one thing and do that one thing than learn a hundred and do another. Does that make sense? So don't, when I tell you to study your Bible, don't, don't, get, don't become an armchair theologian. Learn it and do it. Okay, number three, pray. To know him, we have to believe, we've got to read, we've got to meditate. Pray. Luke 18, 1 through 8, owner Jesus is going to teach us a parable. In verse 1 it says this, Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray at all times. Do you see that? Jesus is telling us a parable that we need to pray at all times and not lose heart. Here's what Jesus says. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that town who kept appealing to him, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, you know what, even though I don't fear God, I don't respect men, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. Then she will stop wearing me out with her perpetual requests. (coughs) Excuse me. And the Lord said, listen to the words of the unjust judge. Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he continue to uh, defer their help? I tell you, he will promptly carry out justice on their behalf. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Keep that up there. So Jesus says we have this great need to continually pray and to cry out for justice. Now, do you live in an unjust world right now? Yes. Oh boy, that couldn't be any more apparent. Do things happen in this world that break your heart? Yes. According to this, what should we do about it? Okay. Verse 1, that's exactly right. He told them a parable about the need to pray at all times and not to lose heart. Friends, when we see the world going the way it's going, we want to lose heart. Right? It's like every day you turn on the news, like, man, this is going south. Right? I really thought we got up this year and started getting better. Was I wrong? Yes. Worse. Right? Worse. Like, oh my gosh, how much longer are we going to do this? And Jesus says, like, look, you need to get on your knees. You've got to pray. And it's just like the unjust judge. You keep coming, you keep coming, you keep coming. Right? You don't stop until you get results. If you're believing for God for something, praying once and it doesn't materialize out of air, and he's like, oh, this must not be God's will. God is not your genie. Grow up. What's the model? Pray, pray, pray. You pray until it happens or God tells you no. That's the scriptural model. Paul prayed. He says, I have this thorn in the flesh, and I ask God to remove it. How many times? Three times. First time, God did nothing. So what did Paul do? It must not be God's will. Pray again. What happened on the third time? What did God say? 
No. That's right. My strength to perfect your weakness. The answer is no, Paul. Then what did Paul do? Did he keep praying? No. He got on with his life. He got his answer. Why do we quit so easily? Sometimes God does say no. And sometimes he says yes. Right? We've talked about prayer, right? We have this thing called God's will. We have this thing about our faith. There's all these things that go unanswered prayer. But we have one job, and that's to pray and to believe. The doing it is on him. The getting back to us is on him. I've prayed for things for years, friends, and they came to pass. And I'm not saying I'm this big titan of faith. I'm not up here saying I'm, who's the, I'm not trying to be like Benny Hinn or these weirdos, right? But I'm telling you the truth. I've prayed for things for years until I saw it happen. Uh, you've heard the story of our daughter Hannah. Had terrible eczema. They called it weeping eczema. Have you ever heard of weeping eczema? Yes. So it just, it, it's pussy. And it covered, her hair wouldn't grow in, and it was on her body. It, it was just terrible. And what, what drove me nuts, you know, we pray about it, we pray about it. But one night, it was really bad. Hannah was almost three. And Audrey is in there scratching her back. And Audrey's crying. Hannah's crying. And watching my wife cry. It's going to make me cry thinking about it, but it broke my heart. Because she's like, I just want my little girl to get better. Right? Because Hannah couldn't be comfortable. Because her whole body was just, we, you know, we take her to children's hospital, we wrapped her like in mummy rags to try to, you know. They had all these weird stuff. Eczema, there's, there's nothing we really can do for it. I was so angry, right? I've been praying about this, praying about it. And so I, I came across the scripture, Jeremiah, that said, this is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. This is not my word like fire that burns the chaff. I remember getting this image, like, wait a minute, God's word is like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. And I started thinking of Hannah's problem as a stubborn thing. I was like, wait a minute, his word is the rock that breaks rock to pieces. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Here's how I'm going to wrap up my prayer. I'm going to pray every day about this now, right? Every night. So I printed up the scriptures I was praying for my daughter, and every night, like a hammer, I hit it. Father, you sent your word to heal us and deliver us from all destruction. Jesus, by your stripes, we were healed. Word. Get the image? It's not my word like a hammer. God had never told me no in a couple years, right? So for 30 days, it just worked out those 30 days. It's not really cool. You know, I Morning when she woke up and I prayed for the last night in bed. You know what happened about 30 days later? These things are falling off her body, her skin is clearing up. Within her hair starts growing in. She still has a light touch of like eczema. She can still be upset about it, but it is nothing like she had. She starts sleeping through the night. The weeping eczema went away. I mean, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. 30 days, but it had been three years of praying about this thing. But you know what changed was I got angry and I had to see some things in the Word. And it was one of the most valuable lessons I learned in my prayer life. And if it took God three years to get that through my thick head, sometimes we need to learn persistence. There's things that God teaches us in seasons of prayer. And I'm glad, I, I, listen, part of me wishes that when we prayed it would be like that. But no, there's no way to raise a kid. Every time your child wants something, you give it to them. You know what that turns into. You know how this ends. Right? God is not our gene. He's doing much bigger things. And sometimes the answer has to be no because he's accomplishing something. Because I've experienced several things like that in my life where I've prayed and God has done it, but I've also prayed and he hasn't done it. Does that change my faith? He told me one thing, believe. He told me to pray. That's what I'm going to be about. And I know him because I've stood in those seasons of praying and trusting him. I, I travel the world. I'm gone for weeks at a time pre-COVID. Right? So I'm a lay minister here. I'm not on the staff. Uh, pastor Trace is our, is our full-time pastor. So I go to China. I, I go all over the world. I don't say that because I'm like a big man. You don't want to go where I'm going. These are terrible places. But the trust my wife and I have to have being apart from each other weeks, weeks on end. I'm always traveling, always going there. Right? When we can't communicate, we do these things. And she doesn't know where I'm at or, or, or seeing what's happening. And I liken that to prayer. When you're not getting an answer, and like Jesus said, learn the need to pray. Get on those knees. When you're not seeing something being done, is there's the trust. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know I trust you. 
I trust that you're good. If it's no or yes, I know that you're good. And I know whatever your answer is, is the best for this situation and the best for your bigger plan. Just trust. My wife trusts me. I'm gone. Can't get a hold of this man. Where is he at? Trust. God, I'm not hearing from him because I've been praying about it. Can you give me a no or a yes? I don't hear anything. Trust. Trust. That's what a relationship is. That's what knowing each other is. The last, I ask to keep this up here because the last thing Jesus says, he encourages us to continually pray. He says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? The, the reason why people don't pray is because they don't believe it works. If you really believed that prayer worked, you'd be doing more of it. You really would. You don't ask somebody for something they're not going to do. If you needed $100,000 by tomorrow, you're going to lose your house. Would you ask somebody who doesn't can't rub two nickels together? What a waste of your time, right? You're going to find somebody that has the means. And most of us don't know people like that, so you go to the bank. Go to the credit card company. But if you had, let's say your parents were very wealthy and you knew they had the cash, who's the first person you'd call if you needed that 100K? Old mom and dad. That's just how it goes. So it is, if you think God is not interested or won't, you're not going to pray. This stuff doesn't really work. I don't think God does it like this. The Bible says, is there anything too hard for God? Is the Lord's arm shortened that he can't save? It's an insult and a slap to his face when you say, God can't do this. God won't do that. Are you God now? Have you read the mind of the Lord? The only time you should ever be saying that is if God has told you himself I'm not going to do that. And if that's the case, then let it rip, right? And get on with your life. Accept it. But until you hear that, you should be praying. Can God do something in this nation? Can he do something in Afghanistan? Can he do something in that terrible neighbor of yours? Can God do something in those wayward kids? Can God save your unsaved parents? Can God help you find a job? Can God do all these things? Pray, pray, pray. That's your job. Okay. Last point, obey. If it rhymes, it's true. Pray, obey. The scariest verse in the Bible is found in Matthew 7, 21. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, casting out demons in your name, and have done many wonders? And I will declare to them, look at this, I never knew. Depart from you who practice lawlessness. We see here, the knowing is not in the doing, but it's in the obedience, right? Like they were doing things, but they were also practicing lawlessness. They were rebellious. They thought they knew Jesus. See, friends, knowing these things, praying and all these, these wonderful things, in the, in the book of uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians, we see a church that's highly compromised in sin and are still getting answered prayers. They're still doing miracles, but it's a, a church that is gross in sin that Paul has to correct. Getting answers to prayer doesn't mean you're living this righteous lifestyle. We see examples of unrighteous people that God answered prayers. Reading the Bible doesn't make you stop sinning. Believing in Jesus, I, I don't know, this may be a surprise to you, but it was a shock to me. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I got saved. Uh, the Navigators, does anyone know the Navigator program? I was in the Air Force, and the Navigators came to my door. Wonderful, uh, very persistent. So I get saved uh, through the base chapel on an Air Force base. And uh, and part of the discussion before I got saved was about my sin. And I bore witness to it. I was like, yeah, I feel guilty when I do these things. So I understood sin. I wasn't one of those guys that said, hey, I'm pretty good. I knew I was bad. But when I got saved, you know what they didn't tell me? Was I'm still going to be the same rotten person when I got saved. I felt the release. I got saved. It was wonderful. I'm like, man, I'm still lusting. <laughs> what happened? I just got saved. Oh, yeah. I have to do something about this, right? And that's the navigators again followed up with but friend, just because you believe in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you get to live however you want to live. It's not a get out of jail free card. You just live life on your terms. To be a Christ follower is to live life on his terms now. What you said is I'm dead to me and I'm alive to you. And what he says is I've died for you and I'm alive for you. Right? It's this great exchange. 
And there, Jesus warns us that there's people out there that think they're doing God a service. And he's like, I didn't know you. And the biggest regret of our lives would, would be is to hear those words. And as, as one of your pastors, and having been in this Bible for decades now, and I read it, it's still the scariest verse to me. Right? It's like, wait a minute, do I know him? The Bible exhorts us all the time, says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Right? The idea that we can say one simple prayer, and we're good for the rest of our lives. Is that true or false? Well, it's true. It could also be false, right? Because if you don't know him, does that prayer really mean anything? Was it really saving faith in it, right? We can get into this big ethical dilemma of, was it true or not? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, Christianity is not a big list of do's and don'ts. This isn't what it's about. What's the greatest commandment? The Lord our God and the neighbors as ourselves. This is his commandment. Now, if we love our neighbors, will we rob from them? Will we commit adultery with them? Will we murder them? That's not loving your neighbor. You're therefore you violating the commandments. So I don't want to say, like, oh, we don't need the Ten Commandments. No, these are, these are great. We need these things. But if you think about your actions, should be motivated by love. He makes it that simple for us. If I love this person, will I talk about them behind their back? Is that love? No, no that is not love. That's terror. You shame yourself. Talking about myself. If I love this person, will I lie to them? If I love this person, will I will I take advantage of the relationship? No. First Corinthians 13 teaches us all these things. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not seek its own. Right? Like we are selfish beings by nature. We we are broken people. But to obey his commandments is just, re- just remember love, right? You don't have to have these things memorized. It's like, am I loving this person by doing this? Jesus says, How should I, what should I do for my enemies? What about those guys? Pray to bless them. Pray bless them. Pray for those that persecute you. It's the simplest thing in the world. Yet the hardest thing in the world. It's simple because you don't have to be a scholar to understand this. If I told you to obey the commandments of Jesus... The litmus test is love. And that can rule all your decisions. Right? Would love do this? And if you're being brutally honest, no, it will not be yes, it will. Does love, if there's, this is a crass, no, it's not crass, it's a stupid example because one crass. If we're, my wife and I are eating a lot, and there's one slice of pizza left, does love eat that last slice? Yeah. Pizza. This teaching, right? Yeah. No. Love gives it. Always has and always will. Let love rule. Right? It's the idea of let it rule. Like, let it make the decisions for you because that's how you'll stay in the will of God. John 13, 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Pastor Trace, uh, boy, it was at the beginning, three months ago, three or three months ago, he taught a whole message on the Shema which is here, the Hebrew word for here. But it also encompasses just more than hearing, it's obeying. It's a coin, right? One side says listen, the other side says obey. That there's no hearing without obeying. Actually, in, in, uh, in ancient Israel, to hear means to obey. If you haven't obeyed, that means you didn't hear. And that's why Jesus says, like, look, you're deaf, you're hard of hearing. No, I hear you. No, that means you're not obeying. Right? If you know something and you don't do it, that means you're deaf. Like, why would you know something and not do it? Right? If you know drinking water will keep you alive in the desert and you're not doing it, what are you? You're deaf. Right? You obviously have to pay attention. So, to know something and to do it is biblical. Now, the last thing I'll say, we'll close out here. Part of our obedience is not only knowing Him, it's making Him known. First step is like a has everyone here flown on an airplane before? Okay. When the masks come down, you're very clear about this. Who puts on the mask first? You or your child? There you go. Why? Because it's no good. You can't help the child if you've blacked out. Okay? So you put the mask on first, and you help the child. It's the order of operations. Now, in Christianity, it's the same way. Well, we have to know him before we can make him know. Right? So we know him. I gave you my four points. I think those 
you probably add to that list, but that's where I would start. Believe, right? Read, pray, do, obey. Right? Whatever you read, you've got to do it. But once you do that, and all of us here, I believe, are, are in the way of knowing it, Jesus says in verse 26, he goes, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Friends, once we belong to him, we are on this planet for one purpose, to make him known. Our job is to continually to know him and to make him known. Now, this can be done in a lot of ways. Obviously, it is through our words. Right? We are to talk to people about Jesus Christ. We are to bear witness to the light. We bear witness. We make him known by the way we live our lives. We make him known by how we interact with people. The Bible says, do all things as unto the Lord. When you go to work, are you working as unto the Lord? Are you really working? Are you working as hard as you can? You know, some of the worst people I've ever worked with are the Christians that talk about Jesus all the time and are terrible at their job. Does that bring honor to Jesus? It annoys me, so I imagine God's probably not really thrilled about it. It's like, you know, not to quote Joe Biden, it's never good to bring politics into it. It's like, man, you shut up, man. It's like, stop talking about Jesus because you're making us all look weird. Right? But I have also known, and sometimes you forget, like, you see these guys that are really industrious and hardworking and they don't say a lot. And then you find out, like, they're Christians and you're like, yes. Like, because this guy's the work stud. Right? This guy gets it done, he doesn't complain, he's early, he does everything he's supposed to do. That, that's bearing, that's making his name known. Like, you. You don't live for your employer. You don't live for even putting bread on your table. I live for him. I do all things for him. Do all things without complaining, the Bible says. Are you a complainer at work, at home, in your life? Does that make him known? What makes what you think known? Right? And listen, friends, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm terrible at this. I'm learning just like you are to walk these out. But I realize if I would be more consistent, maybe I'd set a better example for myself. Right? Because only a person who's got full control over this thing, man, God is truly touched. Because the world complains. The world is lazy. The world steals. The world lies. The world blasphemes. It's just what they do. And when we don't look any different, we're not making it known. It's tough to be different. It's tough to abstain from the course justice. It's tough to stop and say, hey guys, why are we talking like this? Right? This is the work. I don't talk like that. Right? Not just walk away from it, but say something. If somebody's, you know, let's say sexually dressing down the lady guys right at work or something like that. Speak up. I used to, listen, when I was in the Air Force, it, I'm not telling you to do things. I mean, I, I'm just as guilty, right? So I want to lay my card on that. That's no place for that, right? If you're a Christian and someone talks to you and they're, you know, talking like that, hey man, don't talk like this. I'm married, you know? I'm not trying to hear this. It takes guts, right? And then, of course, evangelizing. What makes you different? Like, when you've proven out through your work and someone's like, man, I noticed this about you. Are you equipped to talk about Jesus? To give him the credit for these things? Are you comfortable with talking about Jesus? And it's a... Look, in our society today, it's just up there with talking about politics or the masks or the vaccine. I talk to you about the vaccine, like, oh, Lord, here we go. And I don't even know what side they're on. I don't even... I'm like, okay, where is this going to go? Hey, can I talk to you about President Trump? It's like, you already, like, right? And now it's just the same thing. Hey, can we talk about Jesus? It's like, oh, man, here we go. Right? Actually, even I, I'm a pastor. I've been saved for a long time. And when people knock on my door to talk about Jesus, I'm annoyed. I hate to say it. So we have to be smart on how we do these things, right? Because we have a world that's hostile that hates us. So. This is not what this part of the message is about. Pastor Trace does a wonderful, his fight clubs. I think even your, your life groups are, are like how to tell the story of Jesus, like how to do these things, like how to make him known through stories, how to make him known through gospel conversations. These things are running all the time in a church to be equipped to do these things. So I would ask you, if, you're, if you don't know how to do that, talk to Pastor Trace. Talk to me, but I'm going to tell you to go talk to Trace because he's got this curriculum set up. It's not as tough as you think it is. It's as simple as telling the story. Let's end it with there. I want to pray for us right now. I pray, just remember this, right? Know him and to make him known. It's not just a, a clever phrase we have here. Friends, this is our life. 
you know him, to know him. Paul even says, I didn't, I didn't bring up all the scriptures, but he says, I, I make it my aim to know him. Paul says this. This is the guy writing the Bible. He's like, I make it my aim to know him. When you wake up every morning, I would start with that as a prayer. Lord, help me to know you today. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you can't enter into a better, more knowing relationship with him. The more you know him, the more you'll make him known. Amen? Amen. Okay.